Um, friends, as Joss has prayed for us, it's going to be uh, a little while of reorienting ourselves to uh, church life and what it means and uh, the differences and the similarities and the joys and the struggles uh, of what this season of church life will bring. And so we're going to, you know, as we've already prayed, be gracious and patient with one another as we readjust uh, to another uh, series of changes. But we also want to reorient ourselves to the book of Romans once again, because in the next couple of weeks we're going to be returning to the book of Romans where we, as you've been uh, waiting with bated breath, um, because we, you know that we finished up at the end of chapter 8 uh, a little over a year ago, and so we've been looking forward to arriving back into the book of Romans that we might uh, finish it off in chapters 9 to 16 and see what it looks like to live out the amazing gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and what it meant for him to die for us and rise again and what it means for us to be his church in this place at this time because of what he has done for us. Uh, do you remember our, our kind of summary statement of what we want the book of Romans to do for us as a church from a year ago? I know you've been kind of saying it to yourself every morning when you wake up. Uh, we want to be a united missionary church humbled together under grace. Uh, that's what we want the book of Romans to do for us as a church. That we might be, because of God's grace and by his word and spirit, a united missionary church humbled together under grace. And as chapter 15 says, uh, we give expression to that in order that we might with one mind and one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so over this, this week and next week, we're reorienting ourselves to the book of Romans by spending some time in chapter 8 thinking about what it looks like to have life and hope by the Spirit. Uh, life by the Spirit next this week, hope by the Spirit next week. Uh, this is the one mind that's on view in chapter 8. The one mind that uh, we want to have as a church is the mind of the Spirit of Christ. That's the mind that we want to share together by God's grace in order that we might glorify Him together as we live out the reality of what Jesus has done for us in dying for sin and rising to life. Uh, we can only live out the reality of the gospel. We can only live as Jesus' disciples in this place. We can only glorify God together if we do that by His Spirit. We can only enjoy the life and hope that Jesus brings if the Spirit of Jesus applies that life and hope to our hearts and to our lives, if he, by his spirit, lives and works in us, that is how we will glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ together. That is how we will have one mind and one voice. That is how we will be a united missionary church humbled together under grace. It will be by his spirit. And that's what chapter 8 is all about giving us confidence and assurance for this life and for this hope because of the work of the Spirit in our lives. So let's jump into chapter 8 together where we see the life of the Spirit and the mind of the Spirit and then the obligation of the Spirit. Chapter 8 begins with a wonderful verse. Therefore, 
There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful reality. Chapter 8 begins with no condemnation in Christ Jesus and it ends with no separation from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And this confidence and this assurance that we can have as Christians, it doesn't come by anything that we have done, it doesn't come because of anything that we are in and of ourselves, it is all because of what God has done. Uh, As any good Bible reader, you will know when you read a therefore in the Bible, you have to ask the question, what is the therefore? Therefore, right? It's referring back to the amazing news. Some people say, is it just chapter 7 that it's referring back to? Or is it just chapters kind of 5 to 7? Or is it the whole book? What, whichever section of the Gospel you want to think that it's referring back to, it's all the, the great big reality that Jesus, the Christ, has died for our sin and been raised to life. He's lived the life that we couldn't live and he's died the death that you and I deserve that God put him forward, as it says in verse 2, as a, uh, sorry, verse 3, as a sacrifice, as an offering for our sin. Because Jesus has died for us, there is now no condemnation for those who have trusted in him. That is the status of the Christian. The condemnation that we deserve, God's righteous judgment at our sin, at our rebellion against him. Jesus has taken upon himself on the cross so that we can stand forgiven, free from all the guilt, from all the shame, from the the condemnation that was rightly ours, Jesus took in himself that we might be set free. And Paul wants us to to see with crystal clarity in chapter 8 that that is because of the work of the Spirit who gives life. We can have utter confidence that that is our status, not condemned, but set free because of the work of the Spirit in our hearts. Uh, We heard back in Romans chapter 5 that we have peace with God given by his free gift of grace, achieved by Jesus dying in our place. It results in an unshakable hope and eternal life. And how do we receive that? By God pouring out his spirit into our hearts. In order that that the spirit might apply this gracious, life-giving, hope-assuring work of Christ to our lived experience in the here and now. And so the only reason that there can be real and lasting change for the better in our lives, the only reason that we can have any hope of growing in godliness and living a holy life and walking in Jesus' footsteps after him is because God pours out his spirit into our hearts. God has done this. God has done what the law could never do. He's done it by sending, verse 3, his own son in the likeness of our sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in the flesh of Jesus. 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. This is the reality, isn't it? That the law that God gave to his people Israel could never actually save them but it just highlighted to them the amazing holiness of God and the amazing sinfulness of humanity that the law continued to point out and identify what sin is in their life as a nation and as individuals, driving them to trust in God's promises, driving them to trust in His provision for forgiveness and eternal life. The law shows us just how great God is and just how great the gap is between Him and us. And that gap is an insurmountable gap. That distance that sin creates between us and God, that break that sin creates in our relationship with God, it is insurmountable. It is eternally significant. And so we need God himself to bridge that gap. We need God himself to repair that relationship. We need God himself to deal with sin and death in order that we might be set free for eternal life. We see this back in the Old Testament, remember, in the book of Ezekiel, where God promises in Ezekiel 36, he says to his people, I'll give you a new heart. And instead of my law being out here on tablets of stone that just condemn you and highlight your sin, I will write my law on your heart in order that you might truly know me, in order that you might not just see the law, but you might be able to do the law by my power, by my spirit. And then we see in Ezekiel 37, what does God do? He comes by his spirit and have that great picture of him giving life to the valley of dry bones. And so the life that the spirit gives, it's not just a turbocharged life. You know when um, you're going to buy a new car and you think there's there's so many different options and you can kind of have the the car that's just reliable that will get you from A to B but there's nothing too fancy about it. Or you can have the turbocharged car that no insurance company is going to insure for your teenage driver, right? Because of the power that it creates. Sometimes we can think that the Holy Spirit is kind of like the turbocharged car. I can have the Christian life that's kind of the get you from A to B, get me from here to eternal life, or you can have the Holy Spirit, that's the turbocharged Christian life, the the one of power and change and joy and, and all of that. But what Ezekiel 37 reminds us is that there's only one life that God can give by His Spirit. And he doesn't come just to top it up. He doesn't come just to turbocharge life, but to bring life in its fullness to all his people who have trusted in his promises, who have relied upon his grace. And so if you're a Christian, you have received God's spirit in order that you might live for him in order that you might walk, Paul says, in newness of life, in order that you might live no longer for yourself, but for him who died for you and was raised again. 
And so he talks about Jesus bearing our guilt and our shame, taking the condemnation that we deserved and setting us free in order that, verse 4, we might live not according to the flesh, not according to our sinful nature, but to live according to the Spirit. He bears our guilt in order that we might go and bear His fruit. In order that we might live the life that He has saved us to live. How do we do that? Well, verse 5, we need the mind of the Spirit. Have a look at verse 5 with me. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Do you see the either-or nature of what Romans 8 is talking about? That you are either living in the flesh, either living by your sinful nature, or you live by the spirit. And those two things are mutually exclusive. Right, So you, you don't go from one realm to the other kind of weaving in and out. Like some days you, you're particularly godly, I must be living in the Spirit today. Other days you're struggling, I must be living in, this, in the sinful nature today. It doesn't work like that. It's about being transferred from death to life. It's about coming from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. It's about being governed by death or governed by life, being governed by your sinful nature that is in hostility and rebellion against God or living by the Spirit in step with God under His loving rule and care. You don't hop between the two like you're living on the border of two different states or something. In America, when you drive from Maine... Uh, down to Boston, you have to drive across the state of New Hampshire and there's like 25 minutes where you're in New Hampshire. So you go from Maine to New Hampshire to Massachusetts and you kind of drive across the border and now you're in New Hampshire and then 25 minutes later you're out and you're in Massachusetts. It's not like that in the Christian life, like you're going along and you're like, all of a sudden, I'm out, I'm out, I'm in the sinful nature or I'm in the Spirit. It's not like that. When you become a Christian, God, by His Spirit, transfers you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, from the kingdom of death into the kingdom of life by His Spirit. And that change is profound. 
that change is like a Copernican revolution, right? Where you no longer see that the world revolves around you. You no longer place yourself at the centre of your own desires and your own um, aspirations and your own affections, but rather you've been transferred into the realm of the Spirit whereby you submit to God, where you long to please Him and not use yourself, where you want to think His thoughts after Him, where you want to have your mind and your, your affections and your decisions and the direction of your life governed by Him, no longer by yourself. And hopefully what you're thinking in your mind is, but I still struggle with the reality of my sinful nature. I don't live consistently the way that I want to live. I fail to love God as I ought and to love my neighbour as myself. I fail to honour Jesus in every decision I make and in the affections of my heart and the, the direction of my life. And the picture that Paul gives us here is, the, is, a, is a helpful one, I think, is the, is the picture of walking. And the key thing is the direction that you're walking and under, the, under the, the lordship under which you walk. That left to our own devices, we're going to walk under our own lordship away from Jesus. But under his lordship, we're going to walk in his, in his direction by the power of his spirit. Now, some days that walk will feel like it's going well. We will see change. We will see fruit. We will have joy. And there are other days where you're still living under the lordship of Jesus, you're still walking in the direction, in the power of his spirit, but will feel like you're crawling. And I think one of the reasons why God grows us progressively and gradually in godliness is so that we continue to learn how to depend, to depend upon him each day. So that we don't, we're not tempted to, to kind of start walking under our own steam again. But we're reminded of our own weakness and our own need. And to keep coming before his throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and find help. Having either the mind of the spirit or the mind of the flesh... It expresses the controlling mindset that is going to shape your thoughts and your feelings and your decisions and your priorities and your purpose in life. And this has eternal consequences. It is life and death. And so he then goes on in verse 12 to say, Brothers and sisters, therefore we have an obligation. But our obligation is no longer to our flesh to live according to it. Because if we live according to the flesh, we will die. 
in our sin. But if we live by the Spirit, by God's grace and through His power, we will put to death the misdeeds of the body and we will live. If we're to be people then who live by God's Spirit, then we will be the kind of people who want to know the mind of the Spirit as he reveals himself in his word. And that's what chapter 12 is going to tell us. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By God's Spirit. So that you will know his will, so that you will know his purpose, so that you will know his promises. And if you have the mind of the Spirit, the mindset of the Spirit, the purpose and the direction and the Lordship of the Spirit, then you'll grow daily in the fruit of the Spirit as you're filled by His love and His joy, as you exhibit His peace and His patience, as you extend his kindness, as you exude his goodness, as you demonstrate his faithfulness and his gentleness and his self-control. This is the way that we live according to the Spirit, growing in his fruit, being transformed by his word, living that Jesus-centred and spirit-driven life in order that with his mind, in order that with one voice, we might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you so much that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you, our Father, that you have done it all for us to give us life by your Spirit, applying Jesus' finished work on the cross to our hearts, that we might walk in newness of life. Help us to walk confidently. Help us to walk with perseverance. Help us to walk exhibiting more and more, growing more and more in the fruit of your spirit that we might live in the way that you want us to live. And we ask that you would do this for your glory and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Musos are going to continue to...